listener value pyramid from top to bottom. <laughs> I'm going to create a color-coded diagram. Oh, my goodness. I'll send you a, a button from which... No, not a button. Is. We're going to send you an EFT to the people on the top. <laughs> and then we're going to fax the rest of the show where you can listen in on our conversations about cannibal films. I'm Jocelyn. I'm Zachary. And today we're going to talk about Darren Aronofsky's Mother. Before we get started on this one, I think I just want to highlight, so if you've seen the film, you'll know this about it, obviously. Um, But if you haven't, the cannibal scene is also like a like an inf- infanticide scene, like there's a there's a dead sh- a, a dead infant essentially, um, and that can be really like really hard to hear. That might be something that you are not up for based on where your mental health is at or what's going on in your life. And yeah, I just wanted to flag that up front. Um, we will flag when we're getting close to it. I will give a verbal cue, something like, hey, we're going to talk about that cannibal scene now. If you want to hear us just discussing the film, uh, if you like what you have been hearing and you want to hear some of the discussion, but aren't up for that, I'll make that nice and clear. Um, yeah, so Zachary, the hardest task of this whole podcast, I'm going to throw it to you. Uh, what's the plot of this film? The plot of this film is Jennifer Lawrence's nameless character. She's not nameless. She's mother. Sure. But, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't have a name She's billed yeah. as mother. Uh, lives in a very uh, bucolic but confined house with Javier Bardem, who is also nameless, unless you uh, refer to the credits. He's him. He's him. The... Big old capital H, but Mother, the title, is with a lowercase m, and an exclamation mark at the end, so we should be saying Mother! Yeah, and um, Gen- Jennifer Lawrence is billed as Mother, no exclamation mark, capital M. Yes, yeah, so, so the title does not necessarily refer to Jennifer Lawrence's character. And they get a knock on the door, and they have visitors, more visitors come, things get stranger and stranger... There's a dreamlike quality where a lot of things are going on and characters are being introduced and it doesn't comply with our conceptions of reality. Uh, Bardem, him, is much more familiar and comfortable with all the shenanigans and goings-on, while Jennifer Lawrence is clearly distraught by the uh, these intrusions into their home. Uh, the visitors are almost uniformly very chummy and adulatory towards Bardem and hostile or kind of uh, sinister towards her, towards mother. Uh, And things get more and more involved. We get a lot of uh, allusions to religious stories and religious custom and religious beliefs, but like predominantly, if not exclusively, Christian, uh, and all hell breaks loose towards the end, and we get bloodshed and murder and armed uh, insurgents running through the home shooting at people. What does it all mean? I'm going to just, the rest of the podcast will just be Jocelyn now, because I did the hard part 
and Jocelyn has the easy part, which is making sense of all the concrete description of the actual events of the film. Yeah, so if you want to read it simply as a story about two people in their home, you are probably going to walk away from this film even more enraged than the people who are mad that the ending of Inception is slightly ambiguous because it is not um, plot-wise easy to make sense of, but if we read it as an allegory or the characters and events and so on as standing in kind of metaphorically um, for... Um, Zach, you, you pinned it right down for some things happening in Christian history, mythology, theology. Um, I'm curious about, I am curious about Jewish readings of this text, actually, for theological reasons, um, which we will get to, but I don't have insight about, like, how to make those readings, or even if that even if um, Jewish readings of this text would be different or um, they would be different for sure. We will get there. Um, what that would look like. So if you are a listener who happens to have some insight into those things and you want to be really nerdy and send us a letter about it, we would love <laughs> uh, love to receive that and kind of learn about that. Um, yeah. So what's the first, I mean, for me, I think of the film as being about, like, God and God's house. Like, I just, it's just very clearly that, um, and then, like, all of human history happens in the house, and there is a child who gets murdered, and there is, uh, disagreement between Jennifer Lawrence's character, and what is the name of the man who plays God? I'm so... Oh, Javier Bardem. Javier Bardem. Uh, there's disagreement between Javier Bardem's character and Jennifer Lawrence's character, about how to handle the death of the child. And it's actually a cycle, which is really interesting to me. So the film begins with this close-up of um, a woman's face, and she is burning, and she is being consumed by fire. Um, And then the end of the film, uh, and we get this, uh, she's consumed by fire. We get kind of a reversal of the fire, or so it seems. We later kind of learn that rather than a reversal of the damage, it's kind of a regeneration of of the space. Um, And we open with Jennifer Lawrence materializing in... Um, in bed and waking up, looking over her shoulder and looking for her her partner and saying, I think she says babe. Is that what she calls out? That sounds right. I think that's right. And then at the end, after the disagreement, again, we're going to, please don't listen to our podcast. The spoilers are a thing for you because, like, we are going to spoil the ending. Unless you only want to listen to my plot synopses where I tend to just kind of keep things as vague as possible and avoid committing to any one uh, description of events. Sure, yeah. Listen to Zachary's descriptions and then nothing else. Um, and so at the end, we see Jennifer Lawrence's character, um, who is really, like, spiritually bound to the house itself. That's one of the things I want us to unpack a little bit. Um, causes the fire that destroys both the home and herself, uh, is burned up. Uh, Javier Bardem's character asks for the one last thing, which is her love, um, we find out that her love comes in the form of this kind of, like, I think it's, it's supposed to be a crystal. Yeah, if you've ever read uh, the second book of Neil Gaiman's The Sandman, uh, at the end there's a lead character who takes, like, 
her heart out, and it's like a crystal heart. It's kind of a similar evocation of uh, love in the form of this really precious crystal. Yeah, that's odd. That's I want to. I'm not going to let myself get trailed off of being like, I want to go see that. Do we have it in the we, attic? We have it in the office or the attic. It's one or the other. <laughs> okay, I will go on that uh, on that rabbit trail myself later. Um, so he asks for her love, takes the crystal, um, and places it in kind of pride of place in the home that has now once again regenerated. We realize that um, we've seen the crystal from the last... Uh, cycle, the last cycle of kind of events happening, um, because it's kind of an object that our attention is drawn to in the opening scenes of the films are kind of brought full circle. Um, and then a, a second woman who bears some resemblance to Jennifer Lawrence, but is not Jennifer Lawrence, regenerates in the bed. Um, yeah, there's sort of, um, I don't know that I have much to say about the cyclical nature of the the plot specifically, but I will say that as far as the religious and Christian analogies, you kind of get, I mean, I knew enough about the movie to be looking for them actively. I, I think it would have taken me much longer to clue in if I hadn't, but you get some increasingly more deliberate signposts uh, as it goes, which is kind of ironic because the action of the film gets more and more chaotic and, and complicated uh, as it goes on. But somehow all the chaos and the uh, instability lends itself to a clearer formation of the, the analogy with the activities in the house being the activities of the presence of God in its relation to humanity and like the history of the world. Yeah. I think part, part of the reason for that is, is that we go in um, expecting a linear plot. Right. And we don't know, not, not just like a linear plot in the sense of it being like not a closed circle loop, but a linear plot in the sense of having like beginning middle and one arc to follow. And we sort of get that, I guess, in that we follow um, the mother character and we follow her story predominantly but the chaos that invades the house really presses back up against that um and I think this is like other than I haven't seen Noah um but like I would say Pi is the the closest of Aronofsky's films in in like relationship of characters to reality and storyline. And I think what's happening in mother is much more sophisticated, but they, they, those two films feel to me like they, um, um, maybe they are an expression of the same kind of storytelling. Um, I think actually the fountain has for me more in keeping with mother. that That was Aronofsky. And I also always think that, if you ask me about the film The Notebook, which I have never seen, I will think you're talking about The Fountain, and it's a, it's always bizarre. It has happened numerous times. But you're... what if we did a mashup of the two called The Fountain Pen? Oh my goodness! Um, go ahead. I think you're right, and I just yeah. forgotten that as part of this. yeah, which was another movie that uh, less divided people and more like turned off people, but which is interesting because they're like kind of Aronofsky's two, like, 
Yeah, kind of like epic, sprawling, really ambitious, nonlinear plots, and both utilize, um, like, both rely on kind of a break in time and, and cyclical, and not a break with cyclical storytelling, but rely on cyclical storytelling rather than linear storytelling. Um, and they're, they're both, um, they both tell story, I almost said deeply tragic stories, and I don't think that the stories are tragic because of the cyclical nature and some of the framings around them, but stories with really hard tragedy in them. Um, but they're also both, like, like stunning. Like, they're both super beautiful films. Yeah, they both do, um, are definitely interested in how you can use, for instance, like, CGI to represent non-material things and have it be part of the story, not necessarily the story itself, but part of the storytelling um, in a way where Mother will do these kind of, I don't know quite how to describe them. They're sort of like pans into the walls of the house, but open up into kind of CGI, like little fantasias of, of different like representations of I think it's a heart beating and like a womb, like kind of we see images that allude to things but are not specifically addressed in the narrative by the Jennifer Lawrence character who just from the way the pans go, we tend to think this is something that she's observing or at least is conscious of. Yeah, I think for me, um, I've been thinking about this a lot because I have some new information that I stumbled into incidentally. Ooh. Um, you know it already. Exclamation mark. Uh, new information. <laughs> you you know a little bit about the um, the character Sophia. The biblical character Sophia. I was telling yes. you about this. Yeah, which I want to... Via uh, Facebook Messenger link. <laughs> <laughs> and I came across it. So one of the things that is interesting, I think, discussing this film with you, Zachary, is you are, I am a person of faith and a believer, and I don't want to put words in your mouth and, and tell people what your belief is, but you are. I am a, a, a atheist and a material realist and very much a skeptic, uh, but I'm really interested in things like Gnosticism and Jewish mysticism and Bible stories. Yeah, and so we both have different investments, maybe, in the meaning of films like this. Um, but I think both have a deep interest in them, um, nonetheless. Um, and so, for me, the CGI stuff, I was so puzzled by its significance in uh, the, in the film the first time I watched it. And for me, with the new information about the character of Sophia, it is... Um, because there's a question in this film about whether the mother character herself is... Like, what is her relationship to God, right? So in the sense of, like, is she made of the same stuff as God? Is she a part of God? Is she a human woman made of flesh and mortal the way that like you and I are um that God is conjuring for God's own purposes like what is is she is she does she have anything of divinity in her at all um and so the character of Sophia 
And again, my information about this character is super surface level, so I'm excited to to do more reading that I didn't have time to do in preparation for for this, but is a character who has basically been, like, written out of the Bible because of misogyny, mm. um, and is a female character who gets written about as essentially um, a, a figure who is talked about as being like God's wife, um, but also, like, the feminine embodiment of the quality of wisdom. Um, and so a podcast that I was listening to that is about like feminist interpretations of the Bible, this is what, um, my, my, uh, uh, entry into this knowledge sort of in passing because it came up in an episode that like, they were like, we'll explore that when we get to a part of the Bible and I'm not yet reading together with, um, uh, with them. But, um, essentially instead, like the character gets written out in parts of John where you get like the reiteration of like, in the beginning was the word and God was with the word is more like in the beginning, it's God and the Sophia character Mm. who, yeah, are together, um, um, doing divine things and creating. And so for me, the CGI represents the way that Jennifer Lawrence's character mother can, um, has that spiritual link to the house and her own health and the house are like deeply, deeply entwined with one another, um, as the things that she has in fact created. So God is a writer and is creating very abstract things, right? Is creating words. And there's the whole thing. These words are your words, um, is, is a line that is spoken by one of the early characters or two, one of the early characters, maybe it's in the inscription of the book. These words are your words is spoken a lot in the film. I don't remember by who kind of right before all of the chaos starts to build and build and build. Um, and then there is a lot of disdain and mistreatment of this other half so one of the it's one of the ways that the film I think tackles misogyny both in the way that that mother is treated by the people who come in adoring um the him the god character or the masculine character I mean that's for me I'm like oh that's why the character is not named god but named him Mm -hmm. because these are two elements of divinity um and also how they treat the house Yes. Yeah. I I like, uh, gives me a lot to kind of, a lot of prisms to kind of view my own early interpretation through. Yeah. I feel like there's a sense that the CGI scenes, um, like in, in terms of the scenes where all we're seeing is CGI and we have some kind of, not just like concrete images, but kind of just like this sort of like, I'm gesturing with my hands right now. You guys can't see me, but just this kind of like this airy sort of almost like raw material that to me, there's different times in the film where I felt kind of like they're playing with the idea that like, this is the clay that like God through his or her or their words can create through but it's almost like the kind of a primordial sense like this is god like this is the beginning of existence and from that comes the house and the man and the woman in it and the visitors and in the in the film mother you know everything it's it's not dissimilar i really love that it's not dissimilar to the way that um 
that cinematic language has been used in, it's more abstract, but a cinematic language has been used to depict like, like the womb. Yeah, sure. So I think that that's a very, um, a very beautiful way of reading it. I think this film is, is, um, in a lot of ways trying to talk back to some of the misogyny that I was describing earlier. And so thinking about it as like the beginning is the womb, um, kind of mm-hmm. changes the seat of power or um, or at least uh, changes how power is distributed perhaps. Yeah, and just and the fact that that him is a poet and there's a sense of like the job of the poet is to represent the unrepresentable and it's always done, you know, not through the spoken word or through the painted image or through the sculpted image or through the the performance of the body it's done through the written word predominantly at least in this kind of classical conception of the poet um so it's a it's a very useful metaphor for the idea of a, of like a, a capital c creator and it's and it hmm, it's almost like we we're never we never have our hands forced into subscribing to the idea that and like jocelyn just alluded to that um that bardem's character is like god as we properly conceive like a monotheistic god but it's almost like this he could just as easily be a conduit or an outlet for for the word the capital w word Mm. and for all these things that we can only see represented through special effects like in the film just to kind of demystify it but but it's always the when we see those kinds of non-representational images it's always through like an extremely close psychic distance to the mother character the jennifer lawrence character who it's like there's a lot of dialogue in this film relatively but very little of it has like a one-to-one correlation with the action and, and when it does it feels deliberately banal in a way we're invited where we are invited to like distance ourselves from what was spoken and what the speaker is actually talking about or what they're responding to. So I think there's a sense in which like the Jennifer Lawrence character, everything happening around her is so is happening on a level that is so unrepresentable that those few glimpses we get of the the more artistically rendered CGI scenes are kind of more speak to like the true action of the film that's always going on behind the curtain of like the actual performers and set and you know Aronofsky's direction. Yeah, I love that. I think it it links up with something that I was kind of pondering through um, again between watching and recording, which is. Um, the first time that I watched the film, I was so caught up in kind of the abstract um, qualities of the story and the characters and that kind of higher tier, like second tier level um, of meaning. And then this time I was really thinking about um, like just material truths in the text, which uh, it's... I get it. It's like Parasite. Like, I need to see a map of the house to know if the house it changes shape or not. Because mm-hmm. um, I... Uh, 
some scenes I'm like, it has to be changing shape or is the camera like spinning us? Um, so that we're seeing the same room, right? And it's just being like peopled differently and, and the train is changing, but the, the frame of the house is, is stable. Um, but, but even more concretely than that, like he's really commenting Aronofsky on, um, just like real world misogyny in such an interesting way where like you could, if you wanted to really strip it down, say that this is a film about a writer who is only able to write because his wife built him a house from scratch and does all of the labor of keeping them alive and maintaining the house while he does the work of writing and then she gets disrespected while he gets adored for it. Um, which, and like, that's true on the abstract level, like at the level of like, from where is the true beginning? Is it the womb? Is it like, who is, uh, what kind of creating are they doing? Again, what kind is, who has divinity, who is mortal, things like that. But it's also true just like in the most literal parts of what's happening in the film. Yeah. It, it in a way where those literal parts like, yeah, are totally open to, to like the most expansive of, of metaphorical readings because it comes down to it's like it's not just who has dominion over the the raising of their child because as soon as the child's born the bardem character wants to you know hold the baby himself and kind of keep him away from mother um allow the unwelcome guests to to see the baby and touch the baby um, and it's all, you know, there's, there's very real world material parallels to say, for instance, like navigating child custody or, um, you know, the sense in which he's always there's you know, there's a, a kind of a, a Don Draper sense of he's entertaining all the guests while the, uh, the Betty Draper, Jennifer Lawrence character is, you know, getting Heineken's out of the fridge. Yeah. And we're not going to surprise people with talking about the, the stuff we, we noted uh, at the beginning quite yet. We will, yes. we will get there. But even thinking about like just the really like we can think about the difference in how in heterosexual couples like male parents and female parents are treated, and also how, like what is expected of them in terms of like like caring for the child. So like the idea and, and this it doesn't get represented if you haven't seen the film and for some reason you just like to hear us talk um this doesn't get represented in the film but things like dads being praised for taking their kid to the park when like mom's there every day and our cauliflowers our ready. cauliflowers right so i'll i will finish this thought then we'll break for our having roasted cauliflower for dinner <laughs> We are eating uh, vegan tonight, but... Um, um. <laughs> also, thank you to anyone who doesn't watch the movie but just likes listening to his talk. You're the most valuable listener of all. <laughs> I don't... I will say thank you also, but I'm not going to ascribe layers of value to our listeners. Um. <laughs> Tune in. Next week, we'll have the, the listener value pyramid from top to bottom. I'm going <laughs> to create a color-coded diagram oh my goodness i'll send you a, a button for which no not a button we're gonna send you an eft to the people on the top <laughs> and then we're gonna fax the rest to the people on the bottom 
Oh my goodness. Um, okay, let me finish this thought before you're creating a hierarchy of listenership here, um, before you get too carried away. Um, yeah, like, so there's that piece, but there's also the same with, like, who is responsible for keeping the home nice, is, like, who is responsible for, um, keeping the baby safe, right, is mother, and she knows that, um, that him, he does not, like, fully understand that as part of his duty, um, and doesn't take it seriously, the way that she has to, like, it's part of how she creates and what she creates. Yeah, and that goes across, like, through a lot of different channels through the whole film, where he's very easily distracted and consumed with his work and the adulation of his readers. Um, and meanwhile, she's, we keep using the word material, but doing a lot of the material work, painting the house, making the food, doing the laundry, and presumably looking after the baby. Yeah, and there's a lot of, like, he spends a lot of time just, like, sort of enjoying being loved and adored, and she spends a lot of time, like, cleaning up messes and being kind of hated by people. Yeah, and people's compliments of her always are addressed to him and are usually pretty superficial, talking about, oh, she's so young, like, you guys must have a lot in common. Uh, what does the, the Eve-type character say to her about look at she says something like it's like a backhanded compliment where it's like look at you you're gorgeous so if he's not having sex with you it's something else yeah yeah where they're talking about whether or not they want um whether or not she um the mother character um or mother the character i guess should want to have children and it's uh very presumptuous on the part of uh, this other woman um yeah and it's it must be it must be something else yeah, it's like, thanks for making my day. What a nice thing to say. <laughs> um, I think we should talk about the chaos that builds in the house, and then we'll talk about the cannibal scene. Sure. Um, I think of it as there's a house and God, maybe in, in multiple um, iterations, lives in the house, and then all of human history comes into the house. And uh, it culminates with um, the death of God's son and the burning down of the house. Yeah, which even itself kind of speaks to the way time goes in loops and circles. Because we know that, you know, if we're looking at time in a straight line, there's been a huge amount of violence since the death of Jesus Christ. Not just leading up to and especially after. Yeah. But we get a nice kind of like microcosm of, you know, we have soldiers running around with machine guns, which, you know, could as much invoke the Crusades as it does, say, like, you know, the post 9-11 war on Iraq. Um, human trafficking that yeah. happens in the basement of the house. That's one of the eeriest. Um, for me, it's the eeriest moment where there's just like this building chaos and things escalate from like a, a dinner party that's supposed to be for mother and him to celebrate the success of his second book, which all of the copies are sold in one day. So they're celebrating this and then different guests in the, um, and there's people coming in through the woods and they're mostly admirers. And then suddenly, um, 
I believe the violence starts to uptick or the chaos leading into violence starts to uptick after um, Mother's encounter with the character whose only build is misogynist <laughs> at the party who's like trying to pick her up and she's like, he's like, he nags her and then he's like, give me your number. She's like, no, I don't. Or here's my number. Or so she's like, I don't want your number. She's confused, but also like firm. And then he's like very rude to her. Um, and then things start to get like even more chaotic. Um, and there's this one, it like kind of slows down in the moment when the human trafficker is like looking at her teeth with a flashlight and it's so gross, um, and scary and uncomfortable and feels very, just like very real in a, in a, like it's the second of like realness in this moment in what there's just been like, um, like the conflict feels surreal, I guess. Yeah, and <clears throat> it invokes a lot of things, whether it's, you know, human trafficking in particular or, like, assessing inmates at uh, concentration camps or, you know, there's some eugenic stuff going on. Um, the scene, there's a scene towards the end where Mother gets really brutally beaten by a mob that I think in, like, for a lot of viewers who are probably more like hypothetical viewers and not people who would actually watch mother, but, um, kind of invokes the, again, like in a post nine 11 Islamophobic world kind of invokes like, a, like a Muslim stoning of a woman, but like has just as many historical precedents in, you know, in the Bible yeah, I think it's, I think the, the stoning piece is like a, that is something that belongs to all of the Abrahamic religions, right? Um, and it is for practitioners, followers of all, all of the Abrahamic religions to, uh, just like all of the parts of scripture and biblical texts that are difficult and have violence in them, that's like a job of the um, the people group to contend like very seriously I'm not trying to be dismissive and be like that's not for other people but I mean like it is it is the job of those faith groups to very seriously contend um, um, with those things for sure um, let's talk about the way that the chaos is shot and then let's talk about the cannibal scene because that happens after the yes. cannibal scene um, oh the the beating yeah. yeah immediately after but it's all kind of wound into that big sort of it's like a I got dark sort of like carnival or like a orgy kind of sequence of just all sorts of violence converging at once in the house yeah yeah the way the violence is shot and the way you move between like I struggle to even describe like it's almost um they're not moments of, like, they're not still, like, a tableau is still, but it's almost like the camera is, like, panning through the house. Um, so it's a huge house. There's a circular staircase in the center that, that spans. There's at least three stories. Um, and so that kind of, dip, that kind of might give you a sense, if you've not seen it, um, a sense of the kind of motion. We kind of follow, like, the camera doesn't exclusively move in a spiral like following the staircase but it certainly feels like it's moving in circles um almost like 
between tableaus of different moments and types of violence and you get like a little pause in on the violence and then you move on to the next so it's like let's go to this scene where um uh, jennifer lawrence's character walks into a room and the uh publisher slash agent slash um publicity person is like in a room executing people who are like lying on the floor with bags over their heads um and then she like comes out of that room and she's in the party and she's kind of confused about why the people in the party are still doing what they're doing and people are starting to steal things from the house they want a relic from god's house right or from this person who they admire and she's trying to keep the people in the house from um from stealing from them and then she walk, like turns a corner and it's another scene of violence. Yeah, it's kind of like a house of mirrors or like a haunted house, fun house kind of sense of like <clears throat> there's no clear way out and at the same time it not only can you not get out rather than um, be confining, you're constantly winding up in different rooms where some new horrible thing is going on. Yeah. I think is how the film is metaphorically representing history, where it's just sort of one uh, atrocity after another, yeah. often in the name of religion. Absolutely. Um, and it's in... Um, the, the house deteriorates into a war zone, or we pause in a tableau that is um, just a literal war zone, like with trenches and... Um, there's a very gruesome scene where mother is um, traumatized and is kind of in shock and is not isn't is just like nine months pregnant through this whole like through all of the chaos. Um, the celebration of the second book comes just as the baby is about to be born. Really, um, man, if you just like, there's a way to describe this film where it just seems like it's just like a veggie tales plus guns like and it's not it's absolutely not um it's absolutely worth your time to see and, and interesting and difficult and all those good things um and so mother is in this war zone and there's shooting and there's like live fire and a soldier comes up and says like are you hurt let me help you we'll get you to safety and sort of like yells over in like over a kind of over a shoulder about something about their survivors or something um and is shot like through the head and it's absolutely gruesome and awful um and then that the him character finds mother again and he's been looking for her and they've been separated by all this chaos um and he manages to pull her back up to the room that was once, uh, I think it's supposed to be, like, the, hit the room where the writing happens is kind of the center of the house. It's like a study, yeah. Yeah, but it's, like, just off the landing on the second floor of this enormous house, and it seems like that's the only thing happening. Like, it seems like the rest of the floor of the house doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, even though we get glimpses the house from the outside and there's a fully intact second floor um and the study is not it's like not physically but it's the only part of the house the camera visits i guess this of the second floor um and so he manages to uh help her get to that room and she gets a few minutes of peace and reprieve um and eventually gives birth 
um, this is where we're going to, or I'll give you a minute to respond to that if you do have No, that. just, I mean, again, I think it speaks to the way, like when, uh, when the him character finds mother, like amidst the war zone, it feels like he's been searching for decades, you know, like it, it, all, all of this being so condensed into such a small space and, uh, you know, into such a small amount of time with very few jump, like very few cuts, uh, makes everything, it just feels again, like we're compressing time into a, a really small amount of actual like viewing time, but also kind of speaks to like an endlessness of all this activity that goes way beyond the action of the film. It, um, it takes place in Cairo's time. There you go. Which we have been talking about a lot lately for myriad reasons. Yeah, it's different from Chronos or chronological time, but it's sort of, um, yeah, like time in a moment that expands to be all of time or is just like a, a time that operates differently that um, in my church we're talking about is like God time and in this film might also be God time that I believe is a concept that exists outside of um, a purely theological context. Um, and so we get to the scene of the birth um, and we're going to, this is where we're going to content warning that. So this is the cannibal infant death scene uh if you've been with us up to here and you just don't have the stomach for um for this part we left it as our kind of last piece in the film uh or in the film in the it is one of the last pieces in the film uh but we've left it for kind of the last piece of our discussion so you've been with us for most of the way it's been nice having you um this is a good place to head out and otherwise let's uh let's talk about that the the birth of the baby yeah, I mean, it's kind of from the moment the baby's born, like right from the start, mother is shielding the baby from him, and there's like this this kind of sense of, even though there's suddenly like a break in the action and the film is quieted down for the first time in a long time, there's a sense that, I think at first it's sort of like the sense that at any given moment something really bad could happen, and then very quickly it escalates into... I have a really bad feeling that something really bad is going to happen, not just that, like, we're in a situation where it might happen. And then that dread is very quickly realized when uh, the mob of uh, hymns admirers take the baby and start handing the baby, passing the baby, like, along their hands, almost like crowd surfing the, the, the baby. Uh, and the baby's neck snaps first. It's really, um, it's so hard to watch it's a really just tragic and it's like happens while the baby is being held aloft and it um the sound is awful and the room goes quiet because there's an understanding sort of among the people in the room that the worst thing has happened um a very significant and, and significantly awful thing has happened um, which one of the layers for me as, again, like a person of faith who, um, when I see this is part of it, of, of what happens in this film is like how God meets people who are pretty awful, right? Um, and God goes on to say, um, 
you know, we need to find a way to forgive them. We need to, or him, I shouldn't say God, because again, divinity, I think, is split between these characters um, and, and is in the house um, as a third character or as another piece of Mother's character. I'm not sure which one I think is most true. Um, but the him character goes on to do the things that are really, um, like, where we might in the language of theology, say, like, grace, right? We need to find a way to forgive them. We need to find a way to um, not allow this death to have been for nothing, to make it meaningful. Um, do you want to describe what happens after the babies? It's, it's like, the actual oh, cannibalism. Oh, the actual cannibalism. So the child dies, and then almost immediately, before mother can even process her newborn's death, the the gatherers the congregants are uh tearing the baby to pieces and handing out pieces it's like a very literalized version of uh the the concept of like the body of christ being passed around to be eaten but it it puts it in this absolutely grotesque uh this kind of context of atrocity and of desecration even though for the the people partaking in it it's clear that they're seeing it as a, a very, uh, like a blessed, uh, right that they're allowed to take part in. Yeah. It's a very solemn moment relatively, um, in that, like the, there's a lot of noise, background noise in the film and chaos and everything goes quiet when, um, when the baby is killed, is murdered. Um, and then that kind of quietness, like, it's, it's people solemnly standing in, like, kind of this golden candlelight. And and the fact of the cannibalism is really, like, the camera sits with it. Not for, like, no, none of the cannibalism films that we've seen so far sit with the actual act of, of people eating other people for a super long time. Um, each of them has made that act, with the exception of Silence of the Lambs, where we don't really... We get a famous cannibal. But it's all off of, screen. Yeah, yeah, but the other films all, um, including this one, are all very careful. They, they, the, the scenes are brief. Even Jennifer's body, the scene is um, is brief, but highly packed with meaning and significance. Um, and one of the things that is um, significant for me that makes it feel very much like of the Abrahamic religions, it's a, it's a Christian text, is, um, I mean... There's a son of God that's part of it who gets killed by people who say they follow God, right? Um, so that's a pretty literal connection. The theological implication is that it happens before the son of God goes on to make any promises to those people, mm -hmm. um, which is is... After we watched it, we were deciding if we thought it was just totally bleak or if there was hopefulness and that's that piece for me is is um I find hopefulness in the film as a critique of partially in the critique of like the problems of people like it being the problems of people being awful and not understanding um, human weakness yeah. human weakness but that is still a hard hard piece hard to reconcile um and then we also got um this so in an earlier scene in the first half of the film, before the second book has been written, 
um, the Adam and Eve characters. There's a playing out of the Cain and Abel scene where um, the older brother kills the younger. Is that right? Yeah, something like they're fighting over... uh... Inheritance. Yes. Um, So it's a little bit of of, um, a couple of... uh, First Testament or Old Prodigal Testament drama yeah. stories happening um, at the same time, mm-hmm. and their funeral for the deceased son is held in the house, um, wherein guests come in and also disrespect the house and also disrespect mother, um, and him sort of speaks a piece about like his death is not for nothing. He's not gone. He exists in in the Oh, in laughter and crying or something. He he speaks a piece that's like very very meaningful and touching. I, I'm not doing justice. It's a be- it's beautifully written. Yeah. Um, and then the person who's administering the kind of grisly, bastardized communion, um, in the cannibalism scene speaks the same words. Right. So, yeah, in a new context, recontextualized. Um, but still relating to the uh, actions of human weakness that have led to to a wrongful death and a wrongful murder. Yeah, there's actually. I'm just thinking about this now. There's a sense in which the as more and more guests arrive uh, at the initial funeral for the the able character, and mother tries to cast them out. It's almost like a like a Tower of Babel type dispersion mm-hmm. where suddenly. Uh, up until that point in the film, we have sort of like the Adam and Eve characters are at least having conversations with Mother and him. And from that point on, it becomes very chaotic and there's more and more of a disconnect between what people are saying and how people are responding to them and what the perceived meaning of any of the speeches. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um... Yeah, I need to sit with that. I think that's a really... Um, that some of the chaos is coming from people being unable to communicate, um, understand each other. Yeah, I don't think the film is, like, is informed by, like, Derrida and logocentrist kind of discourse, but it, I think all of a lot of the Jacques Derrida text on the written word versus the spoken word and the dissemination of meaning um, is very applicable to this for for people who maybe want to take a, a secular philosophical approach to the text and not exclusively theological. That's interesting too, yeah. Um, the beating happens after um, Mother interrupts the the cannibalism scene, the eating of her son. Um, uh, and it's really a response. Like she comes in and draws attention to the wrongness of the action and the violence that's taken place and um, the desecration of her son, not just in killing him, but then in consuming him uh, and is just pummeled like literally. And then also with, um, with misogynistic slurs. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Um, in a way that makes me think 
I was a little, it's the first time I, there's so much going on. It's kind of hard to have a reading on this film on a first watch, I think. So amazing job, Zachary. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but I was kind of puzzled at that scene in the, um, in the original. And I think that it's partially functioning to drive home, um, that there is a critique of the misogyny and not, um, that the film is not, I mean, and, and I don't think most honest viewers would take away a misogynist reading like women belong in the home or things <laughs> like that. It would be a very bad faith reading. It'd be a very yeah. bad faith reading, but I think it's like really driving home that, um, um, yeah, the critiques of misogyny in the film. I think if you wanted to critique it as despite its best efforts and intentions, still a deeply misogynist text, you have less trouble with it just in that he's embodied kind of the suffering of the world through this, you know, the young, beautiful woman as kind of the symbol of uh, innocence that gets trampled on. But I think enough of it is couched in actual representations of very real and very biting misogyny that it um, vindicates a lot of Jennifer, like, specifically Jennifer Lawrence's suffering as opposed to, like, the hypothetical suffering of the mother character. Yeah, and I think that um, that the first reading you point to, a, a reading that, you know, says that it, it fails in this kind of important way in unpacking or critiquing misogyny is much more available if you read her as um, a woman conjured by God for God's own purposes rather than, like, a divine feminine embodiment of like the characteristic of wisdom who is um an, another part of the divinity and creation power happening in the space yeah <laughs> okay i think that's what we have to say about this film uh we went to put it on and noticed that the on our what what is the guide that we searched is that is that oh, on demand it was uh, demand? it might have been crave on demand it might have been yeah, I think it was Crave. Yeah, we share slash steal all of our... No one arrest us. Uh, we... From my dad and mother! Yeah! Um, and it shows us the Rotten Tomato scores of films when they're available. And it also is like a C+, plus according to the audience and critics, which I guess we're, that's just how... It will be. <laughs> have my taste in movies. I think it's a really good, smart movie. I have a feeling that until we watch, uh, I mean, well, we're not going to talk about what we're watching in season, in the hypothetical season two yet, right? Like, we don't want to spoil any of that. Finish your thought and then we'll come back to that. Okay. I just have a feeling that uh, until we get to some of the more, you know, subtle and venerated classics like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, <laughs> we're not going to see, like, 80% ratings. Um, I think almost everything we've watched, I guess Silence of the Lambs um, is is pretty non-divisive in terms of most critical opinion. Not that it's one of my favorites, but it gave us an interesting episode. Yeah. But yeah, we, we have been kind of leaning towards the squeakier wheels with some of these movies. Um, but that's okay, because we're... Uh, the fact that they are not simply straightforwardly beloved to me almost makes their depictions of cannibalism more interesting. Um, cause it's, is it the cannibalism and the depiction of cannibalism? That's part of what makes the film intolerable or 
etc. to to some folks, or is it other factors entirely? Um, is, is a question. And is there any more valuable coin in cultural capitalism than the rehabilitative reading? <laughs> Everyone's gonna be like, "Oh my god, I hated that movie. Then I heard it on CanCon. Now I love it." <laughs> I'm going to buy it on, what the hell's the thing that comes after 4K? I'm going to buy it on 4K. Oh my goodness. Okay, so for our second season, so we finish up season one, our sixth episode, next week with Bones and All. Full um, circle. Full circle. The film that inspired the podcast is now the subject of the podcast. Oh my goodness. Uh, just like the plot of this film. We're uh, on the corner of first and first, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the nexus of the universe. Yeah, we might. I was thinking that one might be a two-part. I'm not sure. I think we, we might get there and have a lot to say about it. And so it might be a two-part episode. It might not. We will see what we um, decide on our third watching of it in, like, as many months. Yeah. Um, our second season, we are focusing on instances of cannibalism where where human flesh is being served to other humans whether knowingly or unknowingly, by someone else. Um, I think mostly I think mostly unknowingly. As far as I can think of them, like, other than there's a, at least one that neither of us have seen, yeah. so I guess time will tell. We're going to watch the menu, and we're not sure about that one. Oh, and Delicatessen. And Delicatessen. Yeah. Um, but we think that um, human flesh is being served to other humans unknowingly, or they are unknowingly eating flesh of... Uh, human flesh, importantly, that is being served to them by a third party. We are calling season two Thanks Chef um, because we're going to be a little bit silly about it. Um, but if you have a film that you think, that not you think, but that um, represents cannibalism in that way that you would like to hear us discuss, you can email us. I'll put our email in the show notes. Um, but it is cannibalconversations at gmail.com. Um, as always, thank you, Zachary, for a nice, lovely conversation. Uh, thank you, Jocelyn, for the same. And remember, I only yesterday learned that it's Gmail and not Gmail. <laughs>